G'day and welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Merch, the producer and host of. Thanks very much for tuning on in, downloading or listening via the wireless on AM, FM or digital. I've been down with the flu, which is always ironic considering the weather that we're currently having heading towards the 40 degree mark Celsius here in Australia. Today is going to be one feature guest for you and Tammy will explain who it is in just a moment. Before we head into it for this week, I just wanted to acknowledge that we've got a lot going on in the next couple of weeks or so on the show. And your input is always welcome at radionotes at writeme.com. That's radionotes at w-r-i-t-e-m-e dot com. On Friday night, I had the pleasure of catching up with Rufus Wainwright and after his show, get an interview with Rachel Eckroth. You'll be hearing that in the coming episodes. And also, very early, around 3.30 in the morning, caught up with the lead singer of The Smile Case. They have a brand new album which dropped on Friday. I had a conversation with them. And as part of one of the quickest turnarounds I probably will ever do, you'll hear that on the next episode of Radio Notes. With no further ado, let's head into our feature guest. Killer Guitarist is how Jeff Lang describes Jeb Cardwell, who has played on releases of, and still tours with, Casey Chambers. Jeb is the brother of talented singer Abby Cardwell and son of legend broadcaster Roger Cardwell. Jeb's day job is running Melbourne Guitar Repair, where a variety of musicians trust him with their precious stringed instruments. John, during Radio Notes' tour of Melbourne, dropped into Cardwell's workspace, surrounded by Tabiggy and recently repaired guitars, and a desk adorned with tuning forks, pliers, and other key tools of the trade. Let's enter the workshop. Jeb Cardwell, welcome to Radio Notes. Thanks, John. Thank you very much for inviting us into your space as well. Let's start off at that point. We are in the Melbourne Guitar Repair Workshop. In Brunswick, in Melbourne. This is your daily work environment? It is. Currently, I try to come in here five days a week, usually Tuesday to Saturday, Sundays and Mondays. I just don't like working Mondays, so, you know, my week's Tuesday to Saturday. Yeah, when you work for yourself, you can pretty much do what you want. (laughs) That's the beauty of it. Where are you at at the moment? So in terms of this working environment, the work life, one could call it, yeah. where are you at? Who are you working with? Are we talking about top-notch Australian musicians or, or everyday people? It's both, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll get a lot of people, um, you know, just like, just like guitar, play in their bedroom, uh, you know, look on the website to find a local guitar repairer in their area you know i i get pretty much first hit a lot which is great because i called it melbourne guitar repair which was steve salvi's idea actually <laughs> you know steve salvi uh, from no, adelaide from adelaide so, yeah. yeah he said <clears throat> call it melbourne guitar repair that's it opposite the wheat Chief hotel yeah, on george street right next yeah. to the, the deli there yeah that's it we're really good friends best friends and uh yeah he he started years before I started so um, I'm still on the phone to him a lot especially in the beginning and how do you do this and no (laughs) sense of competition either because obviously two different markets two different states two different states doing similar same-ish work absolutely yeah Steve actually makes guitars 
I don't. I'm just doing repairs. And that keeps me busy enough because, I mean, Melbourne has a lot of guitarists in it. It actually blows me away as how many guitars just keep coming in here. It never slows down. Occasionally I'll get a lull, which is great. Gets me, um, Then I'm able to catch up. But usually it's flat out. And I, I've had to employ someone to come in at a minimum of one day a week. Adelaide has the International Adelaide Guitar Festival. Yeah. What's the equivalent here in Melbourne? What community or what event is equivalent that uh, you've been able to tap into? Well, that's a good question because, yeah, the Adelaide Guitar Festival is great because it's not, it's not about just going down to look at guitars on the wall or in, in, in pop-up stores. Hmm. We, that's what the one is here. The guitar show is just going, you know, like going to maybe Nam in America. Right. You, you just go and check out all the latest guitars and, you know, the retail stores put up a pop-up booth and, and that's what it is. And there's a couple of bands playing, a couple of live acts. Uh, but the guitar festival is, you know, a whole another thing altogether. So I Adelaide might be having a good thing there. Adelaide's, yeah, Adelaide's got the guitar festival. There's, there's nothing here that I know of mm-hmm. that, that is on that scale. That's as good, yeah. It's more of just like a, a guitar show, you know. Who or whom gave you your first guitar? Funnily enough, it was my stepfather, not my father, who is the muso in the family. It was my stepfather. He, um, after my mum and father separated she met someone uh when i was about seven years old he had a three-quarter size yamaha nylon string it was his idea he just said um, i mean the closest i came to playing guitar at seven years old was mimicking playing guitar with my tennis racket <laughs> i thought that was pretty cool i did i did sort of think the guitar was pretty cool the roger federer of the, of the music yeah world. yeah <laughs> yeah terry said you know what you should learn guitar I'll tell you what if you want to stick out lessons for three months if you stick them out for three months you can have my guitar and uh, I did probably didn't have the right teacher I didn't really enjoy it though I picked it up well enough it wasn't really hard Mm. Um, I mean it was hardish but it wasn't totally off-putting but I just it didn't really grab me and so after three months I stopped I got the guitar of course because I stuck it out for three months but because I had that guitar in my bedroom for the next few years um, despite not learning anything I'd still pick it up occasionally and learn those basic chords that I was able to remember like mm. you know D, G, E, A you know. within those three months so I always yep. kept those oh, actually I did forget some but in the end I, I think I never forgot D and G I'm pretty sure I never forgot D, G and A yeah it wasn't until I was Fifteen, that I, you know, um, a light bulb went off, uh, the penny dropped, the whatever you call it. I just. What was happening at the start of those three months? What was the relations with the stepfather like? And and I guess what I'm inquiring about was was it a a, a new level of engagement or was it an ongoing level of engagement between the two of you? I'd known him for a, a while before right. he suggested that. So at the at the start of the three months trying to get a vibe of why would a stepfather say mate technically not related (laughs) except as a step parent yeah i think you should do this i because by that time he had been around for a while i to be honest i can't remember but it feels like from memory that he had been around for a while Mm. and suggesting something like that was 
totally normal. He essentially, in the end, became like a second father. So by then, that was already developing. Did he have a musical background in him? No. Right, so he was very... Yeah, yeah. It was was my blood father that had the musical background that used to play guitar to me when I was a kid, when, you know, I was... uh, before I was seven, <laughs> I, I obviously he he liked the guitar because he still held on to it. And I, yeah, he had had a few lessons, but he, he couldn't really he couldn't play. Mm. I never remember him playing. Yeah, so um, that was really good of him. He um, I I don't he didn't see any I think talent in me for the guitar. Right. It was just an idea. Yeah. It was just like, hey, I got this guitar. Guitar's pretty cool. And what was Why the are you res- trying to learn it? What was the response <laughs> when you got around to playing him a song? I would think. Oh, well, I actually, to be honest, I don't remember what happened in that respect. Um, you know, when I was seven years old, I gave up the guitar. I had a couple of chords. I probably played them in front of him, but um, we can jump forward a bit where I did actually play him a song. Yeah, yeah. Years later. Oh, yeah. My sister and I actually played a song for him when I would have been... 19, 20, around there, maybe 21. 12, 13 years later. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until then that I actually played him a song that I knew how to play the guitar then. Hmm. Um, so I picked up the guitar again when I was 15 or 16. Then Abby and I played him a song because he's a he's a, an academic, or was an academic. He's, he's not with us anymore. But um, he wanted me to go to university uh and i didn't want to go and i pursued the guitar i already knew when i was i'm sure he'd be cursing the guy that gave him a a guitar (laughs) who was that guy that gave you a guitar that you don't want to do academia i don't know this guy yeah yeah so yeah i'm when i turned 16 and i i heard the blues i wanted to play the guitar there was no doubt about it i knew what i wanted to do in life it was it was fantastic but of course, that's going against the, you know, the social sort of norm, you know, of what you do. You, you go to school, you have a break, you go to uni, you get a, an education, you get something that can make you some money and, and give you some security mm. um, so that you don't grow older without any money. <laughs> and that was his thinking. You've got to go to uni. You've got to get, you're a bright. He thought I was bright. He says, you're really bright. You, you're wasting it if you don't go to uni of course I channeled my so-called brightness into other areas and it worked out well for me and when I played him that song when my sister and I played him a song he could see that we, I think that we had something and, and it wasn't just a um, you know a fleeting sort of fad with us mm. he kind of backed off then um, I think around that time I did say on the phone once uh, in a heated conversation uh on the phone with my mum and stepfather on the other end. I was in Adelaide, they were in Brisbane and they were again saying you should go and study. Um, and I was, I think it was about 21. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm never going to go and study. I'm going to play the guitar. This is what I want to do. That's it. So just leave me alone. I've had enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually they got to that point. And uh, I think it was after then that we played the song in front of him. Um, now, at this yeah. time, you were with your sis in Adelaide. Yes. Living yes. with your biological father? Well, yes. Yes and no. Uh, that, that, that was a sort of um, rocky period 
for my sister and I. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny because um, I have to sort of give you a quick um, overview. Uh, otherwise, it won't make sense. When I was seven, Abby's three years younger, so she was four. Uh, my mother and father split up. She met Terry within a year, I think. Um, he is a philosopher. He got a contract at Singapore University, so we went we went to go and live there. By the time I arrived in Singapore, I was nine, actually. Uh, and I, I turned 10 within about three months of being there. Um, he got a three-year contract. So um, I, I was living with mum. So I went with mum to Singapore. Dad, you know, it was one of those things where I saw dad once a fortnight. He stayed in Adelaide. He didn't want us to go, but we went to Singapore. And um, I, I'm so glad I went. I, I love it. Um, I didn't like it at first, mm -hmm. but I love it now. And I love going back to Asian countries. And I went to school, primary school there. Um, and I went to a local school. I, I started out in an American school with all the other expats, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but the education level wasn't so good, my stepfather and my mother thought. So they pulled me out and they put me in a local school. I was the only Caucasian in the whole school. So was Abby because uh, we never were at school at the same time because they have morning and afternoon shifts right. uh, for the odd and even years. And so Abby and I were always odd and even. We never at school together. <laughs> We were so the only Caucasians at high school. Route, high Sam thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're the only Caucasians when we were in, at school. this is in Singapore? This is in Singapore, yeah. Singapore for three years. And within that time, I visited my dad in Australia a few times. Uh, after the three-year contract was up with Terry's um, university, I went back to Australia. I was 13 then and uh, lived with dad for six months. Went. To, I was in year eight. Went to Brighton High School. Uh, it was the School of Music. Mm. Dad wanted me to go there because he, he, he um, it was local. Plus, he was into music. Yeah, which by we'll the, get to. By then, I hadn't started the guitar. Right. Yeah, it was. He said you should go to the Bright, Brighton High School. Oh, hang on. No, I'm I'm stuffing this up. No, I think I just went there because it was local. It was the second time I went to Brighton High School that um, it was. For the right. the music so aspect the of it. So the first time, just first time was just because it was local. <laughs> it is complicated. Um, so yeah, I, I went there for six months. Uh, in the meantime, my mum and stepfather they went straight from Singapore to England because they're both English. My mum's English. Yeah, uh, his contract ran out. He couldn't get another contract, so he went to England. Uh, we lived in Hampshire, which is down south of England. You, I could see the Isle of Wight if I climbed a tree. We were that close to the coast. Six months with Dad. He was with his fourth wife then. And she, uh, let's say it nicely, she, Abby and I didn't really get along. It didn't work out. We had to leave. Mm -hmm. And so we went to England and uh, I so didn't want to go. I'd already start, you know, 13, started my life with my mates, you know, uh, after Singapore, I'd, yeah. I'd established some new mates and that. But again, I had to go, go to England. Oh, and that, that was horrible. By that time, uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was nearly 14. So got to England in Hampshire, like they picked us up from um, Heathrow and we drove uh 
a while to get to East Boulder, it was called, and they all thought like that down there, you know, they were farmers, East Boulder, you know, and the cattle grids, ponies, cows roaming around and just like miles of heath. It was like the middle of nowhere. It was winter. And I just come from South Australia, summer, you know, totally different um, vibe. I was living in Glenelg, summer in, in Adelaide. Uh, I hated it. I, it was like being sent to jail. I spent three years in England. One thing that I did like about it was um, I was heavily into uh, medieval nights and stuff. And that was the home for all that stuff pretty much. So yeah, there were some good aspects um, about living in Hampshire and Brighton. We lived in Brighton, Sussex as well. We're still a few years off from you actually picking up the guitar yes. again. So I want to ask between then and picking up the guitar, when did the blues grab you? Well, it's funny you say that because as soon as I said Brighton, Sussex, that, yeah. that was the point. So I had, we spent um, nearly two years in Hampshire. Then we moved to Brighton, Sussex because Terry couldn't get a job. He had to retrain and he retrained in uh, artificial intelligence, in AI. During that time, we had to go to Brighton. I went to high school in Brighton. I made a friend called Chris who uh, loved Chuck Berry. He said, have you heard Chuck Berry? Um, you know, I, I, I like rock and roll. Mum had the Rolling Stones and stuff. I grew up listening to great music. Tony Joe White, you know, Carly Simon, James Taylor, Rolling Stones, JJ Cale. Because uh, my dad loved that stuff. And mum did too. Um, Chuck Berry, I'd heard of Chuck Berry. And he goes, yeah, this is so cool, the guitar sound, you know. Um, I want to try and learn it. And I was like, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind trying to learn that too. So we used to just tinker on his, at his house on a guitar he had. Uh, you know, I knew D&G from when I was seven years old. <laughs> but the, the more I focused on the guitar, the more I liked it. And a friend at uh, school said, um, oh, I'll give you, everyone in those days in the 80s was in, into giving tapes of music to each other. Yeah, mixed tapes and stuff. And uh, a mate of mine said, oh, I reckon you really love this stuff that my dad's got. So he gave me a, a whole heap of um, stuff uh, on this tape. I put it on not knowing what the band was called or the song because he didn't write it down. I just remember hearing how cool it was. Um, but it wasn't until I really, when I really decided I wanted to learn guitar, the house we were renting in Brighton, Sussex had a record collection in it because the owners had gone off to Africa and we were just renting it short term and they left everything in there and I was rifling through the records and putting on music because of my interest it started to redevelop in mm. guitar and I pulled out this old beat up single on the A side it had Josh White Josh White um, an American Negro folk singer and on the other side, it had um, Big Bill Brunzi. Now, I put on the Big Bill Brunzi, and I, was, I remember I was sitting in front of the stereo, a Marantz one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you got to do quality. And I had, I had the headphones on, it was just me, and uh, I, I listened to it, and it blew, it literally blew my mind. I thought, this is absolutely incredible like, I almost cried and like, it's just a 7 inch isn't it so headphones yeah, 7 inch yeah, one seven song inch, one go yeah like I was just so moved deeply with this guy Big Bill Brunzi um, African American again um, and he was big around 50s uh, 50s 60s yeah. mainly 
maybe late 40s, I don't know. What I was listening to was a recording, I think, from the 50s. And um, yeah, heard it was moved incredibly. And I just couldn't imagine how one man and one guitar could do that to you or just sound so amazing. And mm. there's the, so much feeling in his fingers as well as his voice and the harmony between his voice and his fingers the phrasing and the dance that the fingers and the voice did and the soulful playing as well as the soulful singing but also eerie at the same time and um, he was able to convey like all those amazing African-American blues artists uh, something deep down inside you could you sort of got it I got it you're in Brighton when this happened yeah but not old enough necessarily to go out I didn't have a gigs to discover no 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 I just heard Big Bill Brunsey and that was it Brighton for me is Gary Adamson yeah Um, right um, and and his work I've spoken to him and and he has Mm. this this deep infinity with what Brighton represents Mm. never been there you've been there did the area for which you're in then educate you more about this music that you heard no not at all yeah I was 15, yeah, at that time. So when I discovered Big Bull Bruiser, yeah, I was 15. Um, no, I was just in my own little pocket. Yep. Uh, there wasn't, I couldn't, I didn't go out to nightclubs or anything. I wasn't, I wasn't old enough. All I had was my small circle of school friends. Literally, so- I hung out with maybe two friends from that school. They were brothers and we all loved the guitar. Um, we developed. So the education from that and a few records very few records maybe very few yeah, yeah. well yeah. was your education with the brothers with with other people that you're playing with yeah well i wasn't even playing guitar i couldn't even really play but yeah the other the other brothers um chris and dave that i was hanging out with um chris was the one that was really into uh, the guitar more I discovered Big Bill Brunsey on my own from rifling through records but i discovered uh, like Chuck Berry through Chris mm. and and then that other guy I mentioned who gave me the tape yeah, uh, because I was expressing an interest guitar he gave me that tape I had no idea who was on it but I would put it on and it blew my mind as well was Robert Johnson was on there and Ro- I'd already heard Big Bill Brunsey I might have had the same reaction I'm sure I would have if I'd heard Robert Johnson first but I heard Big Bill Brunsey first had, mm. had that amazing reaction and um, on the other side was Led Zeppelin it was funny because Led Zeppelin are influenced, especially Jimmy Page, by Robert Johnson. And I was listening to, on one side, I don't think my friend who dubbed all these songs onto the tape knew uh, what he had done, but he had given me the beginning and the sort of end of what you get after blues on one tape. It was yeah. funny. I loved it all. <laughs> and, and you had to fill in the turning yeah, over I was section. Like, oh. Yeah. Well, I didn't know it was Robert Johnson. I discovered it later that I had been listening to Robert Johnson and, and Led Zeppelin. It wasn't until I discovered who I'd been listening to till, um, nearly two years later. I thought, one day I will find out and I will buy this music. Yeah. And now, by this time, you mentioned you went to Brighton High for a second time. Have you now come back to Australia? Okay, so I'm, I'm in, in um, England listening to the tape that I didn't know was Robert Johnson Brighton, and, yeah. and um, yeah and Led Zeppelin and uh, then it was time to leave England because 
Well, I wanted to go and live with my, my dad and... Fourth wife or not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I wanted to go and live with him because it was just that thing that you know, the son wants to hang out with his dad. I was, I was older by now, I was 15. I knew he had, had guitars too and I, I knew he had a music history, you know, he was a country and western compare you know and, and a folk there. singer yeah. and um so i thought i've got to go and live with my dad you know and i missed him too so wendy and terry my mum wendy and terry uh, wanted to go and buy some property in australia they wanted to go back to australia as well and he was um looking for a contract there at griffith university in brisbane which he got and they went to griffith university in brisbane i went to live with dad in adelaide so did abby Yep. despite him being with that horrible fourth wife <laughs> and um, I mean she had her good points but you know overall ugh, she made it awful for us I went back to Brighton High yeah. yes yes um, and now it's I a had, music school yeah this was uh, year 10 it, it was always a musical school I think but dad said oh, you're in the guitar day I landed I grabbed dad's guitar I started playing it until literally till I had blisters I just wouldn't stop and I didn't have a teacher there was no YouTube I would just um, I'm just imagining his eyes like my son's home and he's into music oh big time I was just teaching myself whatever I just made up but I had feel that's what grabbed me about the blues is the feel and from listening to it without really I see that nylon string guitar it was three quarter size. It had nylon strings. It sounded terrible. I just couldn't wait to get Dad's uh, steel string out when I got there, and I thought oh, I'll be able to play some real blues when I get yeah, the, the when I get the steel the strings. Yeah, you know, and that's when I really started playing. But uh, yeah, he said, "Oh, you got to go to the music school, Brighton High School." Um, so I, I'm trying to get into a music school um, starting at year ten when in that those days are probably still the same all kids studying music as a subject because not all of the kids did but i wanted to you had to have been playing an instrument for a while or have been learning music so we went to the school um i see the head of the music department i have no real music background but he went into walked into a room lifted up the piano hit a note say sing that note that i just played and i went and i did and then did it again. He goes, right, you can learn music. So he said, but the problem is you, what, you've got no theory and everyone's like grade eight in theory. So he said, over the summer, you have to, he gave me the master theory books, you know, from grade one to seven or eight. Mm. And I completed and finished all those during the summer holidays that the kids were on. So when the summer holidays were over, I started year 10 and that yeah that's that was it was there a suggestion there that you had at least the instrument of the voice and the guitar would come and then the theory could be studied as well yeah i think the the teacher's way of thinking was that anybody can anybody that can hear something and replicate it vocally has got an ear for music yeah if he'd played it like a uh and i'd gone uh he would like mm, sorry we're currently in conversation with Jeb Cardwell in his guitar studio here in uh, Melbourne, in Brunswick, around that area. Let's talk about your father, if you don't mind. Yeah, okay. Obviously a hero of many, particularly those of the radio generation as myself. His name is Roger Cardwell. Yeah, yeah. 
We possibly would know him as the radio broadcaster, uh, the yep. announcer. Um, in fact, there was um, Greg Clark was talking about him on another podcast recently yeah. as being that sort of era of, of commercial radio, obviously. Yeah. But he was also a father and he was also a husband to a couple of wives as well. Yeah. We've picked well, up. He was married five times. Five times? Yeah. Technically, he's still married to the fifth, though they have separated. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. It's all right. It's, it's all with heart. It's all right. <laughs> Jeb, yeah. what was it like? You've mentioned the story already of having the stepfather and spending <clears throat> a lot of time overseas, I guess, with the stepfather. But what was it like being in the, uh, the circle, the sphere of, um, of Roger? We've said a lot about Terry Dartnell is his name. Actually, before we move on to my father, Terry, Terry Dartnell uh, was a very successful um, lecturer in AI. Like, cause, uh, he Are was, we talking he, artificial intelligence yes, before, it was the, cool, before it was cool? Yes, before it was cool. And he, he's really intelligent, philosophical guy because he's a philosopher. He's naturally going into AI seemed like an, you know, a good thing to do because the, the, it's, can computers think for themselves? That's a philosophical question in itself. You can go on and on and on and debate it till the cows come home. Mm. And he was really good at that. He wrote books on it. So he's known in the AI world. I think internationally as well. Anyway. But before we do leave him, do you get a sense that your intelligence for things of that nature comes through your music sometimes as well? Do you tap into those conversations that you had with him? I do. I think if I hadn't spent years with Terry, mm. I would, I, perhaps I may not think about life in the same way. He liked to debate. He loved it. He'd have a few wines. He liked to smoke pot, though in England he didn't do it. But he'd have a few wines and he and I would um, debate. And I, I found it sort of, it, it was enjoyable as well. I found it really interesting, yeah, um, to think about things. Just think about things. Ask why. Um, ask about the outcomes of things, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, so. I have a feeling Terry may come up when we talk about songwriting if we get to that section maybe, in today's yeah. conversation. <laughs> Back to Roger though. Roger the mm. father for you. Mm. Admired and respected my dad because he was a real, I don't know, yeah. You know, he had that deep voice. He was a real father, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know how to say it, but um, yeah, he was—he had that real sort of stereotypical kind of father persona, you know. And you think, wow, how do you how do you get to be a a Roger Cardwell, you know? But I've soon discovered as I've got older that um, people like my dad are pretty rare. He's not actually the norm, you know. It's funny being around him. Yeah, was 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 great just to have that influence um talk to us about that uh, finding out that he's not so ordinary yeah not, because at the time he wouldn't have seen that special but now he he obviously at that time no he did seem special to me you know he was a man's man he reminded me of like a, a james bond character like sean connery you know you know and you think oh he's such my father is such a father he's such a man you know and there's me you know a lot shorter just different personality you think wow you know am I ever going to sort of get to be anything like my father in that sort of I don't know uh, outward 
as I've got older, I've discovered that yeah, my dad, yeah, like I said before, mm. it's it's a it's a rare thing. Like, well, everybody's in individual, but there's not many people like my dad. There's a whole lot more people like me, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, maybe there are. Maybe it's because we're so different. I attract and uh, travel around in a different type mm. of circle. Like, I, I attract people like-minded people. Maybe dad attracted like-minded people and his how did you find in his communicating world? with him what were the conversations oh, well like? communicating with dad was it was pretty easy really see dad never had a father so he wasn't very good at being one really like he did his he did the best he could but, you know, he, he also didn't uh, know what to do. I mean, I'm sure many people have been in the same boat where they've got a father that's not so great or, you know, um, every, we were all learning. Dad didn't have a father, so how can I expect him to be this, mm-hmm. this great father? I mean, he, he was, um, I admired and respected him, but he could have done things a lot be- better in, in hindsight but at the time when I moved back from England and I was with him I was just really excited and over the moon to be with him and um, to be introduced to that re- almost reintroduced to that world of, of, of radio and TV because I really like that too maybe because it's it's sort of similar to the aspects of it are similar to music um, a lot of his friends could play guitar well let's recap the story as we mm. said Terry may have been the person who gave you your first guitar. Yeah. But it was Father Roger who had the musical background mm. and where the music started maturing for yeah, you as well. That's right. Well, see, on my 21st birthday, um, he invited all his friends around and my guitar teacher. We'll have to sort of backtrack a bit about him. Yeah. And we'd all just jam and play guitar. He, he knew, like I say, he knew a lot of musos because a lot of people in the entertainment industry, you know, can play a bit of a tune, you know, whether they don't do it, they might not do it as a living, but that, yeah, a lot of them can either play guitar, piano or bass or something. So yeah, my 21st was fantastic. We had all these guitarists come around and amongst them, them was my teacher. Because um, when I moved back from e- England, yeah. I was teaching myself. I had no friggin' idea. So you got DG passion teaching. DG yourself. and passion, yeah. And and um, I watched a movie called Crossroads. Okay. That, uh, Britney with, Spears, fantastic. <laughs> no, this is the one in the eighties that Ralph Macchio, the Karate Kid, was in. Um, and uh, the guy who played um, Joe Brown or whatever. He was uh, was played by Joe Seneca. Anyway, it was about the journey to go and find the so-called, uh, was it the 40th song? Robert Johnson only recorded 39 songs. And apparently there's the lost song, which is the 40th. So the movie's based around this kid who goes to Juilliard, learns classical music, but loves the blues. Should really be f- focusing on classical, but doesn't because he loves the blues. He goes on this journey t- uh, with uh, Robert Johnson's old harmonica player down south to Mississippi in search of the lost song. Well, I watched that movie and the the blues in it, the blues guitar playing and the blues music just was fantastic. And um, I didn't have a teacher. So 
it was VHS in those days. I'd stop, pause, rewind, Ralph Macchio playing the guitar. Right. He was coached so... He did, can't play the guitar, but he was coached so well that I could actually learn from watching his fingers. And I taught myself with this uh, piece of music that Ralph Macchio plays um, sitting on his bed in his room. It goes for about mm. two to three minutes. And I taught myself this the best I could. My, it would impress my dad and um, his wife at the time. I really needed a teacher, a blues mentor. I wanted a blues mentor, you know. I went to see Leo Kotke play. So I was maybe 16. Just come back from England. I'd probably been in Adelaide for a year. Go, go to this uh, concert. I think it was Her Majesty's. Leo Kotke was playing. There was a support. I had no idea who it was. I went with my dad's wife. The first act came out and he was led on the stage uh, by somebody because his eyesight was really bad and he had a, a, a stick mm -hmm. and he sat down and played the acoustic guitar and it blew my mind and he was because he was playing blues. It was Chris Finnan and he was 30 something then, probably early 30s, mid, mid 30s. Leo Kotke came on after and I was like, ah, Leo Kotke, whatever, who cares? This Chris Finnan guy was playing the, the proper blues. Though Leo Kotke now, if I saw him, would yeah, that'd be something. Yeah, you because know, um, he's he's amazing as well. I've actually got a few of his albums and I've learnt some of his twelve string songs. Yeah, Chris Finnan. Yeah, left the stage at the end of the show after Leo Kotke, the uh, my dad's wife said, uh, "Do you want to? We should go backstage and try and meet him. Why don't you try and hmm. meet him? Meet Chris Finnan." I said, "Oh nah, all right." And she talked me into it. So that was a good thing that she did. There's something positive about it. And <laughs> we went down the side of the building and there was a bouncer there. And we said, oh, I want to meet Chris Finner. And he went, yeah, sure. I think he's just backstage because the back of the stage was right near the exit door. Yeah. So um, I was led through backstage and Leo Cocky was there. And I got introduced to him and shook his hand. And yeah. said, great gig. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And Chris Finner was there. And... Uh, <laughs> Chris Finnan puts out his hand like oh that, that was fantastic that was amazing um, he goes and I, I, the idea was that I would ask him for lessons I was about to say it and he goes oh great do you want lessons and I went uh, yeah yes please <laughs> so he lived a couple of streets away in the city and I went for lessons with him I started like the week after once a week he'd, he'd record onto tape those tapes I still have um, he moved house I think I, for a year I saw him at his location in, in the city then he had to move out further north I think it was and so that means I had to catch like two buses one from like Brighton or Glenelg yep. into the city and then another one out all the way down northeast road to whoop whoop to go and have my weekly lessons but I did it because I was so passionate about it and I'd get on the bus with my hard case I'd wait at the bus stop playing guitar I'd get to the other end have the lesson put it on tape wait at the bus stop play the guitar while waiting for the bus do this you know I did this for about three years in total lessons with the Christmas oh no maybe not three maybe two hmm. and then um, I had to stop because life just got too busy I was getting older you know um, it happens it happens after a year, I was I was playing guitar. I had a band at school. But that's two years being trained by, two, Chris, yeah, Finnan, yeah. by Chris Finnan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the perfect mentor for me because he was a field player. He didn't... And I was heavily like a field player. I just played 
all I needed to know, I needed to just hear how the notes should be played, and I, I would play it like that. I would like, I would play the note over and over and over and over and over, one note until it sounded like Chris's note, or until it it sounded close to Chris's it note. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds like he was invested in you as well because of that interaction where he yeah. asked you if you wanted guitar lessons. Yeah, yeah. It seems that he. I don't know. It was just like it was a meant vibe, to be a vibe, a feel a vibe. that he could do something with you musically and uh, obviously well, over the years has and it'd be nice to think that I also think that he he needed some cashola as well oh yeah so that would have been part of it be like, yep you want lessons great oh, bang. just belittle it to but, that will you yeah yeah <laughs> I'll just you belittle that you so and so oh but you know it, it was meant to be I mean who who, you know the luckiest guy in the world really well kid in the world to have Chris Finnan as, as their mentor. I got the blues mentor. Oh, like I manifested this blues mentor, you know? Perhaps if manifestation is something people would say that it's not possible, but I think it is. And um, yeah, so I've got this blues mentor and he put it on tape. And for years after, even though I didn't have lessons with Chris, I had those tapes. So as my knowledge of guitar playing got better and my ear became more mature, I could pick out things that I'd missed before and so I learned off those tapes for over five, eight years maybe after. I'd just keep churning out those tapes and I'd hear new shit all the time. It was at least five years after stopping lessons with Chris. I was still learning off them. At the same time, your father would have known this was happening. He would have been kept informed. As yeah, well. yeah. Well, yeah, well, Dad what, knew. He would invite Chris to the birthdays. That 21st birthday was where all the guitarists yep. came. You know, Doug Ashdown, who's a famous 70s Yeah folk singer songwriter had a hit winter in america um doug ashdown would come around chris finnan uh, mark rivet who also had rivet studios down by pepper studios it, they're not there anymore but mark rivet was an amazing guitarist so i had, i was very lucky from 21 i think for the next three or four years or something I, I would have a guitar party for my birthday and just be surrounded by all these great guitarists and it was all about guitar for me and it still is i mean christ I, i've got melbourne guitar repair I'm in two bands. I'm recording my album. I still play music. Music's my passion. If I could play it for a living, I would. That's the guitar. <laughs> when did songwriting come about for you? Ah, oh, songwriting. Right. Okay. Now, this is funny because now I, I often say to myself, geez, uh, maybe I should have focused more on songwriting. That's where the money is, really. You'll have yeah. an album out that will have songwriting on it. So I yeah. want to know... How that got... How did... so? Yeah. What was it a necessity to express yourself yeah. or, or where did songwriting oh, come well, into it? It goes back to that time where I heard Big Bill Brunsey, Robert Johnson, the singing and the guitar yes. together. I ultimately wanted to do that. But I had to learn the guitar first. I would play in my room, play the guitar. I'd try singing along. It was very difficult to sing and play the guitar, but I wanted to do it. I had the guitar and I'd try and sing. And I was 18 when I plucked up the courage to ask for a gig. I'd been singing in my bedroom along with the guitar. I thought I was good enough to go and do a gig. And I was. And I made a demo tape. My guitar playing was way better than my singing. I still think that. My singing's a lot better now. So I made a demo tape. I went down to Moby Dick's Tavern in, um, oh, where is it now? Henley, Henley Beach because I called the guy first the owner and I said oh I'm looking for a gig blah 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 and he goes yeah come on down oh same day 
He said, come down today. So I took my guitar down there, my tape. I was nervous as hell. I thought I was going to have to play guitar in front of him. Uh, but he just put on the tape and he heard it and he goes, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. You, when do you want to play? Do you want to play tomorrow night? I was like, holy shit. So I got a gig and I went, I was the most nervous I've ever, ever been in my life. But I did that gig and I uh, felt amazing and um, people enjoyed it. Uh, and it became a residency. In the end, I wasn't nervous at all. After a few months, I was drinking and playing, you know, bloody no problem. I was 18 when I was doing that. Started a band with Abby, uh, Blue Jay, and we recorded an album, and then I was in and out of bands, you know, and I was jamming with people. It was all about the guitar and performing and playing, and you know, you want to be famous and all that stuff, and you, you, you're trying to, trying to make it, searching. How did you craft your songs from then? So you were singing, you were Yeah, songwriting. the craft, yeah. So um, Abby and I, I was 23 or 24 when we started Blue Jay. Uh, that's when I tried my hand at uh, crafting a song and I crafted a couple that made it on the album and Abby and I crafted some together Abby by that stage had actually been writing herself she, she was self-taught guitarist like me but she didn't go more into the sort of wow guitar playing factor she used it more to accompany her beautiful voice and her really good talent for songwriting an amazing talent Whereas I was the guitar and I've developed songwriting later and I'm still developing songwriting. Um, uh, I'm happy with the songs on this album. I love them. They're great. And I think they're good. Um, but I'm not prolific. I don't churn out songs. Mm. I, I, I sit on one. Sometimes one will come quick. Sometimes it will take ages. I mean, there's some songs of this album that have matured and developed seriously six years. Of, and now I listen to them and they've changed and they're better than when I wrote them six years ago. There's a point where you've got to put them down. Otherwise, they'll just keep changing. They might change for the worse, but they, I feel they've changed for the better. We'll hopefully speak to Abby in her own capacity one day, but I want to ask you whilst you're here just one question about her, and, and that's the, the brotherly pride. We've spoken about the father, the stepfather. But blown away with what she's done. I, a lot of... Um, I admire Abby's skill and, and perseverance as well. You know, she knows the industry as good as anyone and because she's been at the point of nearly making it getting knocked back nearly making it getting knocked back it's happened multiple times she's had all the knockbacks i've hardly had any knockbacks because i haven't put myself out there like abby i've mainly been the hired gun guitarist guy it's an easier road being a, a, a performer solo songwriter and trying to make it that's hard i'm only gonna give giving that a go now in my 40s you know um abby's been doing it for like 20 years so i admire her uh, her voice is beautiful and her uh, songwriting is very clever. She she's really into. I mean, she she hones is honing the craft. She does courses, online courses, and and she's giving courses now herself. She's right into what makes a song really really good. You know, some people may get lucky and churn out a song. Uh, some people have seen some songwriters have a natural talent for uh, writing a song and making it great, without even realizing what they've done. Abby could tell that person why that song is great and why maybe it could be tweaked a bit better. The body of work that is the album, uh, debut album as a solo album? I'm trying to remember. This would be my debut solo album. Yeah. I have recorded in bands that I've been in yeah, sure. and, and had a hand in writing those songs, but like Johnny it, Seven. This, this is personal. Yeah, this is, this is, these are all my original songs. I think the first one I started writing 
eight years ago. Yeah, there's nothing before that. I mean, after eight years, if you still think a song's good, there's got to be good. All right, and if you're still playing them, like I'm still playing them, the guys in the band, they they love them. They they they're the ones that said, "Jeb, you got to record these songs." They're the ones that got me off my ass. Themes, thematics for the songs that made it on. There is a '70s pop rock vibe about it. Yeah, I've got keyboard, bass, drums, guitar. But there's some Beatles in there. There's even some like really early Elton John stuff in there. There's some Dire Straits flavors. There's some JJ Kale flavors in there. Jeb, what's your proudest moment? My proudest moment? Mm. Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't think I've even asked that myself. Maybe because I'm too scared to ask it. Yeah, and I haven't asked musically either. This, this is broader than the music. It's, it's about the person that's released this album. Oh, jeez. He's recently to... got married, by the way, folks. Yeah, just, yeah. Just putting that out Well, there. that was on the tip of my tongue. I was proud with myself and my wife when we did that. That was epic. We did it at a location wedding in, in Penang. You were mentioning before about, and I'm very aware that he's alive and he's famous, but um, your father not having a father model. And here you are. Now, he has five wives. mm he is the one. Yeah. You ready for a lifetime of... Oh, yeah, absolutely. If anything, Dad showed me what not to do. Yeah, so this is number one and only one. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, that's that's one of the most proudest of my life, for sure. I was going to say that one, but there is also another couple of times, and they are music-related. One was when Abby and I released our first album with Yuri on bass. It was our band called Blue Jay. So that was our first ever album together. So that was proud. We'd actually um, done a bit of a recording at the Governor Highmarsh on tape. The Blue Jay CD album was the, the real proud moment. And then the next proud moment after that was... I've got to apologise for smiling. I was at the Gov on Tuesday. Oh, yeah. It's around 7-ish, 8-ish. Yeah. You know, got myself a little curry hot pot to yeah. down. So it's just me two bar staff member and like a manager type staff person walking around that's it in the yeah. entire oh, right? shit. so I'm in the front bar and then someone rocks up with a banjo and then every other sort of family related banjo yeah. kind of instrument no one under the age of 45 yeah and then Richard Tonkin walks in as well well yeah and they had a jam session for over an hour awesome. the staff looked at me as if to say oh do you want to go? Are you, you know, are you feeling out of place there now that these people? No, no, I'll, I'll have dessert, I'll have a coffee, and I'm sitting tight. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. It's good to hear that Richard's still doing that. Richard Tonkin was the one that recorded Abby and I our tape. The Tonkins are great. I mean, they gave us a break yeah. um, as local artists, and and they they helped us get somewhere, you know, and get uh, gigs. What's the next ten years for Jeb Cardwell? Ultimately, my passion is to perform, uh, just live off music, mm -hmm. and that would uh, be songwriting and, and playing music. We're in your workshop at the moment. This will still be going, and uh, I will be hardly spending any time in here. I will have guys coming in here to do it. I, I have one guy coming in once a week. He's also pursuing the dream of playing music <laughs> full-time. He actually plays with James Rain, Josh Owen. <clears throat> He's still pursuing the dream. So, But my plan is to have someone in here probably that isn't pursuing the dream that can keep Melbourne Guitar Repair going so that I can go and pursue the dream, <laughs> so to speak. 
No, but really, what what really makes me happy is playing music, you know, singing songs, writing songs, recording them. I want to be able to do that for a living. I don't care if I'm not famous. I, I, I just want to be able to make a living out of it. So in order to do that, you've actually got to go out there and start doing it. And it's um, hard when, you know, uh, for every muso uh, that wants to do that, it's hard when you, you don't have any money. So you need a day job. This is my day job, Melbourne Guitar Repair. And my big plan is to ultimately pull away from Melbourne Guitar Repair. I've got this to a point now where it's going really well. Mm. And you know how blessed you are that yeah. at least it's something related <clears throat> yeah. to what your passion and, yeah, is. Oh, I'm very lucky that I work for myself and I'm working on guitars and yeah. I still go out and do gigs. I play with some famous people like Casey Chambers now and then and mm-hmm. I've rec- recorded an album with her. That was one of the other most proud moments was when I actually recorded an album with her and got that album in my hands. It's like, man, I'm on that album playing that. all the banjo and the and the Dobro and so I still that would have won an aria or something I did yeah we need to talk again next time you're in Adelaide maybe yeah yeah sure Uh, because our hour today is that's okay there's more to come but like I was saying the the, the plan is to get someone in here to run Melbourne Guitar Bear so I can go off and pursue the dream (laughs) Jeb Cardwell thanks very much for joining Radio Notes thank you Jeb Cardwell more on him at jebcardwell.com and for his business of strings, melbourneguitarrepair.com.au. Latest from Jeb is single Dreaming of You with an album still to come. Usually by the end of February heading to March, I've seen a number in previous years. Hundreds of shows would be seen during this time of year during the Adelaide Fringe and Festival, but zero have been seen as part of either of those to date. Hopefully that will change in the coming week. A few should slip on through and when they do I'll give you some details of what they were and what did happen. In the future episodes of Radio Notes we can look forward to a number of chats that are coming on up. I've got one coming up with Mosquito Coast from the WA region. Also, we'll catch up with Christopher Sprague. Brand new album has been launched from him, and I have a chat recorded last year that goes into depth of his day job that I want to share with you. Rachel Eckroth, as I mentioned at the top, recorded at the back of the Adelaide Festival Theatre on Friday, and it recorded around 3.30am on Sunday morning. The Smile Case new album was launched on Friday, so from the buzz of that, Ben Andrus from the band will be our special guest. Thanks very much for joining us for this episode of Radio Notes. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.